With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Bob Grill, and he's Eric Kramer. Welcome to Kramer and Grill, a fantasy football podcast, now a videocast as well, and a regular NFL podcast. You can hear the podcast wherever you get the shows. Also, you can see the video cast on YouTube by going to my Bob Brill YouTube channel or by finding the links for all of this at KramerandBrill.com. That's the easiest way. Go to our website. All the links are right there on the homepage, KramerandBrill.com. Well, this offseason, each week we're taking a look at each NFL team as they prepare for the draft in the upcoming year. This week, our guest is Joe Person, who covers the Carolina Panthers for The Athletic. Uh, Joe, it's a real pleasure having you with us. Glad you could join us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. Before we get to the Panthers and the huge trade for Sam Darnold, why don't you recap the season briefly uh, that Carolina had? Well, of course, it was Matt Rule's first season and uh, Teddy Bridgewater's first season here in Charlotte. And they were about they, – they ended up 5-5-11, five, five and 11, which is about what, what – I think it's exactly what I predicted them before the season – um, the fact that they won five games with Christian McCaffrey missing 13 of those games was really, I guess, not bad. I mean, they, they had a decent, uh, plug-in guy in Mike Davis who has since, uh, left in free agency, but, uh, we got to see Joe Brady's offense. We just, I don't think we got to see it with the long-term trigger man that they really were looking for with, uh, Teddy Bridgewater kind of ended up being a kind of one-year rental. Well, I guess looking forward, now you've got Sam Darnold. And one thing that uh, has stood out to me about him so far in the pros, and even going back to USC, is that he does—he never seems to be all that consistent um, on the positive side of things. And to me, looking at him, it, what I've identified at least is there's some mechanical flaws that aren't consistent, and therefore his accuracy sometimes his decision-making and so forth isn't consistent either. Do you think with Joe Brady that we'll begin to see maybe some more of that? It'll be interesting, uh, right, with Brady and now the first-year quarterbacks coach here, uh, Sean Ryan, uh, joining Matt Rule's staff. I mean, that that will be their charge because, as you said, Eric, this was a guy who was very inconsistent with the Jets, uh, kind of a turnover machine, uh, got sacked a lot uh, that, you know, that if you talk to his defenders and, and, and his, the, you know, the, the Darnold uh, support team, they'll tell you that he didn't really ever have a great offensive line. He didn't have a lot of weapons. And you hear, I, I did a story last week where in, in which I talked to Mark Sanchez and, and Ryan Khalil, Ryan Khalil was there for one season with Darnold in New York and they really, especially Khalil, questioned that Adam Gase system and, and saying that it didn't give Darnold a whole lot of room to grow. There were a lot of just sort of pre-programmed reads and checks, and, and he was to stick with it regardless of what he saw. So, yeah, it's, it's the question. Like, is Darnold the man moving forward, or are the Panthers going to be at this same spot a year from now still looking for a franchise quarterback? 
Well, the other thing is, too, I, I believe they're picking number eight in the draft, and there's going to be probably maybe one or two uh, good prospect quarterbacks there. Is that where they go in the first round, or do they trade back or trade uh, or, or go some other route, maybe going for something else that they need? They're really in the and and get trading for Darnold really did set them up in that number eight spot to be flexible. That if a Justin Fields, for instance, falls to them at eight, they might pull the trigger on him and and let the two of uh, Darnold and and Fields kind of you know go go at it and compete for that position and sort of see which one of them you know looks like the best bet. So. Uh, and the other thing, too, is if you take a quarterback there, I mean, kind of like uh, what the Packers did last year with Love, albeit a lot later in the draft, if it ends up Darnold wins the job, then you've got a market to trade Fields or trade Lance or whoever it may be. So, yeah, uh, and, and that trade could happen, as you said, Bob, this year during the draft. I, I think they're sitting there at eight. You've got the Broncos at nine, the Patriots at 15, maybe even Washington farther down that might be interested in coming up and, uh, and, and Scott Fitter, the new GM here uh, comes from Seattle where you guys know they have a history of trading back stockpiling more draft picks. So it, I think if they stay at eight, they're looking at either a le- unless it's fields uh, a left tackle or a corner, a lot of good corners in this draft. And it's, it's kind of a position I don't think gets a lot of attention, but, uh, Patrick Sertain, uh, J.C. Horn is a guy here in the Carolinas, uh, South Carolina. And then finally, uh, Caleb Farley, albeit with the uh, injury history and those risks associated with it. Has the, the scenario come up because Atlanta sits at four. Now, I know Atlanta, uh, in terms of just the NFC South, is not one of the stronger teams right now. But I have heard the name Kyle Pitts thrown around it's possible selection for them is sort of this kind of hybrid type new chess piece tight end. Um, so could a player maybe like Notre Dame's uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa um, be the type of hybrid type defender that, you know, that the, that the NFL's defense is now going to with these types of offensive weapons? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, actually, the Panthers kind of went that route last year in the second round with Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois. He was a safety in college, of course, football championship subdivision, FCS. Um, The Panthers really liked him, kind of got to know him at the senior bowl. He comes in, he played all over the field for this Phil Snow defense primarily outside linebacker, but also played deep safety. He played some big nickel corner, played like maybe a handful of snaps at outside corner. So to your point, Eric, yeah, I think that is kind of the wave. Um, Isaiah Simmons uh, was drafted one spot. Uh, The Panthers picked Derrick Brown at seven last year. And of course the Cardinals took Isaiah Simmons. A lot of people thought the Panthers would take Simmons, uh, the Clemson guy. Uh, right up here, the, up the road from Charlotte. But um, th- like I said, they kind of got their own version of Isaiah Simmons and Jeremy Chin, who just had a fabulous rookie season. Our guest this week is uh, Joe Person, who covers the Carolina Panthers for the Athletic. Uh, Joe, I want to ask you about uh, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, you know, he's had the injuries the last couple of years. Is he fully healthy? Because I know the Panthers 
depends so much on him, so much like the Steelers used to do with uh, Le'Veon Bell and guys kind of get burned out when they get used so much. So what, what's his health status at this point? He is good to go. Um, in fact, he could have played, of course, he had three different injuries. Lucky for him and the Panthers, none of them were just crazy debilitating. One was a high ankle sprain. You guys know how, how those can take a while to come back from. Then he had an AC joint separation of the shoulder and then he's training for that. And, and he readily admitted probably overtraining and he like uh, pulled his quad toward the end of the year. There's think about three games left and he was able to, he, he was ready to come back. And I think at that point, Matt rule and at the time already Herney GM and they just, um, they just said, no way we're, we're not going to play you. It's not worth it. And, uh, and kind of sat him down for the rest of the year. So, you know, McCaffrey told us in, in a Zoom call at the end of the season that he was tr- going to try to be smarter, that sometimes he was his own worst enemy by overtraining. We'll see. I mean, he's a guy that he, I, I think part of him being a, kind of a smaller guy coming out of Stanford has always felt the need to just, you know, maximize every rep he can get in the weight room. But I think he's right that I think it would probably serve him better at this point to dial that back a little bit just so he can get through. I mean, they, they can't have him you know, missing another season like last year. I mean, he, they they paid him more money than any other running back in, in NFL history. He's got to he's got to play. And so he's got to be smart. And the Panthers have to be smart with him, too. One of the, you, know, you mentioned uh, interesting listening to your take on that, because it was uh when I was playing, what ended my career was a neck injury. And I began training with this, uh, I guess you call him a physical therapy uh, clinic out in San Diego. And it was everything related to my posture and alignment that had nothing to do with my neck. And once that got resolved, it's amazing how much better I felt. And the first thought I had was, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping, and at least in in uh, Christian McCaffrey's case, maybe that's something he will move towards um, incorporating more, whether it's yoga, Pilates, whatever. Um, anyway, to stick, I guess, more specifically still um, with the Panthers and them losing Curtis Samuel, that to me seems like when McCaffrey went down, Curtis Samuel became the most versatile, dynamic player offensively. Now that he's gone, uh, who do the Panthers – possibly replace him with if any- yeah you're right eric he's he's a unique player and i don't know that they have anyone that fits real neatly into what he does of course mccaffrey very versatile but mccaffrey is not going to go you know they'll they'll flex him out wide sometimes but a little different animal than than curtis samuel um they they did sign david moore out of seattle to kind of replace samuel in the slot again he is a, a, a terrific receiver. I don't think he brings you the, the things in the running game that that Curtis Samuel did. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this this offense uh, goes without um, without Samuel. I, I, I do think it'll be interesting too. looking at I mean, Joe Brady had a pretty dynamic offense last year. They had four players. What was it? Four players with a thousand yards of total yards from scrimmage. Uh, it was only like the fifth team in history that that had that many. And that was without Christian McCaffrey. So I, I think 
the NFL and, and heck, maybe even owners across the league are interested to see what Joe Brady does with a full deck that includes McCaffrey. Remember, Brady interviewed, I think he interviewed for five of the head coaching jobs last year, just coming off his first full season as an NFL coordinator. You know, they really beefed up, uh, or at least tried to beef up the defense this year. I mean, they went out and got um, defensive end Morgan Fox from the Rams. It's kind of hard to get noticed when Aaron Donald's playing next to you. Uh, Hassan Reddick, uh, they picked up a linebacker. Uh, also, Rashawn Melvin in the corner. Was that the main focus of their offseason? I know they also tried to build the offensive lineup as well. Yeah, they, they brought in some pieces uh, along the offensive line. But like I say, a, a lot of those guys are sort of more journeyman type players, which I think is why if a Penny Sewell is available at eight, they go get that Oregon left tackle and, and, and build there, build around him and give, whether it's Darnold or whomever becomes the franchise quarterback, got to have that protector. Defensively, yeah, you mentioned it. I, you know, this is a team, if you guys remember, last year they, they made modern NFL history by drafting, using all seven draft picks on defensive players. I mentioned Chin and Derek Brown, and there were, there were several others. But so I think they they were still, you know, had some pieces missing there. So that's where the Reddick comes into play. He was a guy that Matt Rule knew at Temple, edge rusher, kind of lean and light to, to play every down in a 4-3 at defensive end. I think they're going to move him around the field, have him standing up a lot. And then real late in free agency, and again, it kind of got, I think it got a little, didn't get a lot of notice nationally, but they signed A.J. Bouye, uh, the, the longtime corner, former Pro Bowl corner, clearly guy in the back end of his career now. But if they could get a season or two from him at corner, that would really help things as they evolve as a defense. He, and, and it would not preclude them from taking one of those top corners in the draft. Yeah, one, uh, I guess, to step out of the Carolina Panthers bubble just for a minute and kind of look at the NFL kind of broader spectrum. I'll try not to get too long-winded with this question, but regarding this new 17th game that the Players Association for years has, you know, stayed firm to not allowing, now all of a sudden the CBA gets signed first. That's now 10 years, what would normally be five or six years. And now the owners, the first thing they do is extend the thing to 17 games. Um is there sort of a feeling around the league and amongst the players that DeMora Smith in some way has kind of sold them out by, I guess, again, this long-term CBA deal, was it that beneficial for the players or the owners? Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. Uh, I, I will say that during the negotiations, I think, you know, whether whether Dean Maurice made it clear or not to the players, the players should have known, you know, it was, you know, that, that they were negotiating for this, that the 17th game was going to happen when they, when they allowed that little, uh, you know, kind of caveat in, in the new CBA, there was never a, a question that the owners weren't going to use it. And, and, you know, does the rising tide, you know, does it lift all boats in terms of salaries for the players? What well, should uh, this year, of course, being so weird with COVID. 
But that 17, I mean, we've already seen the, the negotiating with the new TV TV deals and what that brought is, again, record numbers at per usual. But, yeah, I don't love it, I, you know, as a kind of traditionalist, uh, you know, and with the health and safety in mind. But, I, you know, now the record books are going to be screwy. And, you know, you go from 16 games to 17, and we're probably not far away from the next one getting to 18 games. And I just – I don't like it. All the head injuries that, that we've seen in, in recent years, uh, it, it just seemed to me a case of, uh, you know, t- too much. Uh, you know, I don't want to call it greed, but <laughs> – I don't, I don't know that there's another word for it. Well, you know, most decisions these days or all days are made with that in mind for sure. Well, you know, the one thing about it too is in the last, what, five, five years at least, there's been a, a de-emphasis on, on the, the uh, preseason games where players aren't, aren't, your regular players aren't playing anyway. You know, I mean, how many downs did actually starting quarterbacks play uh, in the preseason games, because obviously they don't want to get hurt. A lot of them feel that, oh, they don't need it. Their teams feel they don't need it as much. So they're spending their time evaluating younger players. And, and a lot of those guys didn't want to, you know, have four preseason games. So now we extend the other end of the season. And I think you're right. I think it's not far away from 18. And when it comes to the statistics, you know, it used to be a thousand yard rusher was a pretty big thing. And now with 18 games, that's like 50, 60 yards a game. And that's not really that much. Yeah, the whole thing, it, it's been a fascinating offseason, too, when you look at all these teams that, uh, through the union, have been voicing their um, kind of displeasure with um, the, the OTA program, and which, which started this week uh, with teams and players able to get back in the buildings for weightlifting and conditioning. Um, I think last year, these players, especially, as you said, Bob, the veterans, they looked at this, uh, you know, that, that their offseason, I mean, they, you know, 98% of them now go and work out with personal trainers and come back in great shape. They don't really need to be in the building, at least for the first phase or two of OTAs. And they saw last year, I mean, actually injuries were down a little bit. Uh, with no OTA program uh, and, and, you know, c- kind of everybody off on their own until training camp. So we've had 19 teams out of the 32 come out and say that, that they won't be participating in the voluntary phase of the off season program. And I think probably the other 13 teams are, there's going to be a level of that with them too. I just think that they just didn't want to go through the formal announcing of it. So that's been, uh, that's to me, that's been a fascinating kind of subplot of this offseason. Interesting you brought that up because that's one of the questions I was going to ask you was, is it just a coincidence that three of the four teams, the one being Carolina, have all said we're not participating? Carolina hasn't said that. Do you think their players will? step out of the voluntary part of the off-season training or is that something you think they may look at now and say hey well these other teams aren't if we do we can at least get a head start on the off-season yeah I mean I they're actually a couple of their young players this week on social media were were kind of saying like you know in their own in their own way with gifts and memes were suggesting that hey this just as you suggested there this puts us a leg up on our competition. But 
you know, this is a team that does not have a lot of veteran players. Like I was talking to one of my sources within the organization and it was like, you know, we don't have like a veteran laden team where guys are, are, are looking to, you know, kind of take the off season to themselves and do, as I said earlier, their own training. So it'll be interesting. I know the union is really going to emphasize um, kind of stepping out of that third phase of OTAs, the on the field uh, program where there's more risk for injuries, obviously uh, you know, that at least the, you know, the third phase, is still voluntary on the field. And then you get to the fourth phase, which is just the mandatory mini camp. But I don't know. It'd be weird. I don't know how you do a mini camp. Just, you know, I, I guess you could, you'd scale it back, but um, I'm, I'm in, you know, I, you'd like to think that they can come to some sort of compromise, but I get where the players are coming from when, look, we did this last year. There was really no drop off in play. And as I said, the, the union says the injuries were down after having not had a traditional off season. So why not? Final question for you, Joe. And that's uh, regarding the status of Teddy Bridgewater, uh, not, not coming back, backup quarterback. Are they in a position to trade him or cut him or what's the situation there? Yeah, they're trying to trade him. And uh, I think the issue now is every team knows that they, you know, that the, if the Panthers don't trade him, they're going to cut Teddy Bridgewater. And so does a team like Denver, let's say, uh, want, want to give up a fifth or a sixth round pick for Bridgewater? You know, I, I think the Panthers obviously would hope, would hope so. And he's got 10 million bucks guaranteed right now. It's another 7 million guaranteed at uh, week one. So the Panthers are going to have to, who have, if, if, if they want to do a deal, they're going to have to take on some of that salary and, and pay that down to, to, to make sure and help, help see that get done. But yeah, I think his time here is done. I, I, you know, I think I, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I think he is a very sir. I mean, probably one of the best backups in the league right now. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, we saw him go five and zero in New Orleans when Breeze was hurt two years ago. But over the course of a, of, of a 17 game season now, I think you just see the, his limitations. And, you know, he does not look like I think he could get you a team to the playoffs, but he does not look like a guy that would would kind of get you all the way to the distance. All right. Our guest this week, Ben Joe Person, who covers the Carolina Panthers for the athletic. And there you have it. Kramer and Grill, a fantasy football podcast, and now an NFL video cast as well. And you can hear the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Lipson, Radio.com, which is now Odyssey, and wherever you get your podcasts. Now you can also see the video cast on YouTube by going to my Bob Grill YouTube channel or by finding the links for all of this at Kramerandbrill.com. That's the easiest way. See it right there on the bottom of your screen, Kramerandbrill.com. Joe Person of The Athletic, my friend and colleague, Eric Kramer. I'm Bob Brill, and we'll see you next time.